welcome to another special episode of On the Couch with myself, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. And joining me today is James Storey. James is the head of real estate assets at 360 Capital, and he's currently the head of real assets and the fund manager of 360 REIT. TOT is the code uh, on the stock exchange. And James has 15 years of experience in real estate funds management, significant experience in cross investing across all debt markets, equity, and corporate transactions. And he's also a smart guy and has a non-executive directorship of Velocity Property Group. So VP7 is the code there. So welcome, James. Great to have you on the couch today. Likewise. Thanks, Henry. Great to be here. Um, just before we kick off with our chat with James, just to remind you guys out there that this is general advice only, so please do your own research. Contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas, or insights that James and I discuss on this podcast. So don't forget, just talk to your financial advisor, general advice only. So once again, welcome, James. F- first up, maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about 360 Capital and especially about the fund that you run. Sure thing. So I guess 360 Capital as a business was started by Tony Pitt back in 2006. So he was working at uh, Mervac uh, and James Fielding for a number of years and decided to go out on his own. So fortunately, didn't do a great deal of investing uh, pre-GFC and had a few principal investments but cashed them out uh, leading into 2007 and really looked around at the market. There was obviously in the direct real estate space at the fund management space, there were a number of... uh, I guess fund managers that got themselves uh, over leveraged and caught up in what was the, the GFC uh, and he picked up a, an investment in Beckton Funds Management 2010 so bought both the funds management rights and the co-investment uh, which for us a very very large uh, the founding philosophy of 360 Capital Group is alignment through co-investment so uh, as a business uh, having those stakes was crucial so we spent about six years uh, recapitalizing some of those funds listing them on the ASX the first was uh, 360 Capital Industrial REIT which was uh, listed in 2012 then our office fund in 2000. 14 and along the way we backdoor listed the group itself into uh, what at that time was Trafalgar Corporate Group so uh, which is 360 Capital Group today. So 2016 uh, we started to get uh, a bit cautious about where the direct real estate market was. Uh, There are a number of groups approaching us about the funds and and the assets but they were all externally managed so I made the decision to sell the platform January 2017 to Centuria Capital and uh, go in a different direction which really was diversifying away from being purely a real estate investor to being an alternative asset manager. So we now have a number of strategies. Uh, Real estate is I guess my focus uh, which we have 360 Capital REIT uh, which uh, is as a business has evolved over time as well. So we've we've taken that for being a vehicle that invested both in real estate debt and equity and had more of a total return focus to being what it is today which is uh, purely real estate equity investing uh, both across uh, active operating businesses as well as uh, direct and indirect positions in, in real estate. So, so, James, when you talk about alternative investments, because there's not very many alternative investment companies out there, I guess, on the exchange. I can think of a few uh, in terms of unlisted things and, and pre-IPO things. So what do you look for in, a, in a, an alternative investment? 
So we really broke, I guess, the business model down into four key strategies. That's real assets, which includes real estate, debt, equity, and digital infrastructure. Uh, we have a public equity business, private equity business, and a corporate credit business. So I think, you know, as you pointed out, there aren't many alternatives out there on the listed market. Uh, we, as a, as a business, have a strong track record in uh, both public and private equity, uh, from a capital source, uh, but what we look for is how do we generate, I guess, you know, we're a small business, but uh, and pretty nimble team, how do we generate outperformance? Uh, we're not an index-hugging business. Uh, what we do is more opportunistic, uh, but, you know, in that we, we generate opportunistic returns for our investors. And I've got to say, I haven't followed you greatly in the past, but obviously I will now in the future. Um, but you guys have been quite aggressive uh, at times on, on the corporate front and, and trying to shake things up. Is that is that fair to say? That's, yeah, that's fair to say. That's fair to say. Uh, we, uh, again, I guess being publicly listed, um, businesses uh, that might have strong underlying assets or the wrong capital structure present an opportunity to us. Uh, we obviously have been uh, in the past made some investments in uh, Australian Industrial REIT which ended up merging with our industrial fund back in 2015. Uh, we've made an investment in Asia Pacific Data Centres which was actually spun out of NextDC which we made a, a successful taker over of and, and sold back to NextDC. Uh, again, it's, it's really around the uh, the thematic of the underlying assets and where I guess Tony is as a founding uh, principal of the business you know, has made a lot of money for himself and other people over time and uh, we, we see there's potential for uh, a lot of opportunity where there's some dislocation between the I guess capital structure and the underlying assets themselves. Yeah, that, that was that was an interesting one. I remember from the past was the next DC, uh, the, the the data center side of things, which they spun out, and then uh, you guys <laughs> took control of, and then sent sold it back to them. That, I remember that one. That was a, a very interesting deal, and I'm sure it wasn't something that next DC contemplated when they actually spun the business out. Yeah, I mean, fantastic assets uh, and, and a great business in next DC and, and the data centers themselves. So uh, for us, you know, we like. The thematic, which out of that, I guess we've ended up with a, a joint venture with David Yule, who runs our digital infrastructure business. So fantastic! You know, not only we made a return on, on the investment. I mean, we we did like the assets and uh, the opportunity that we saw in the data center sector, uh, which yeah, it's great to have David on board and and the listed business that we have now, which is global data centers under the code GDC. So, so that's obviously an area that you see uh, massive growth in, and I guess, you know, we've seen the the huge growth in uh, in data through COVID in the last few years. So, I would imagine there's going to be some big growth out of that fund in coming years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we uh, it was 2017 when we identified the opportunity, and that really was initially it was a property play. It was lowly geared, triple net leases for a long term, but then from from that investment, we managed to, I guess, get a broader understanding and uh, build a relationship with David, and that allowed for us to do this joint venture. Uh, it's it's a fast-growing, I guess, segment of the market uh, and industry, but you really need someone with expertise in that space, which I guess we're, we're the funds management side of the JV, and David's the technical expertise. Mm. 
So, so I mean, the last year, I guess, has been uh, an interesting time for all of us. But has uh, COVID affected your thinking in any way? Has it affected your business or has it been very much business as usual? It definitely has affected our business. So from, a, I guess, the 360 Capital REIT standpoint, we were doing both debt and equity. We had quite a large loan book uh, coming into the COVID period, which we took the decision. It would have been in uh, probably mid-March uh, after seeing what was happening to stop lending and pu- pulled a number of term sheets we had out in the market just to see what I guess it meant from you know a direct real estate standpoint residential market etc so we ran our loan book off from being out the door back into cash so and accumulated a pretty significant cash balance given the size of the vehicle so we went from about 35 million dollars of cash to 100 million dollars of cash now we thought the market could go either way so obviously made some investments and they were really around the back of uh, I guess seeing the government stimulating housing so made an investment in Pete Limited Uh, we built up a five position five percent position there uh, below NTA so that's been a good investment but we were quite heavily penalized for sitting on cash but for our investors and and I guess our philosophy whilst we're opportunistic we are relatively conservative in that you know, there was uncertainty in the market. We made the decision to sit on cash rather than the deploy, uh, given taking, I guess, more of a, a longer-term view on, on how we invest and what we do and, and our returns rather than being uh, you know, caught out given the uncertainty that was around. Now, now, James, you're the closest thing I've had to a property expert on this show in all the in the year or so that we've been running this since since COVID, and we've embraced the podcast world. Um, what what is happening with with property out there? We, we've seen a, a massive bounce, uh, you know, in uh, especially in residential property. Is the same thing happening in commercial property, or is there some semblance of sanity there, or is it just across the board in terms of uh, this asset that we call property? Just bubbling away and getting more and more overheated. Is, is that fair to say? I think, I guess the, the residential market's one where it's an emotional purchase and the cost of debt has made people do probably to some extent irrational things, uh, which I'm, I imagine will keep going for some period of time uh, given the availability of funding appears to be uh, out there still. On the commercial front, it really comes down to the asset classes themselves. So there's, you know, the, within commercial real estate, there's asset classes within asset classes. But if you break down, I guess, the main three sectors, it would be office, industrial, retail. Office uh, has some headwinds given the leasing environment. But having said that, with the, the bond rate and the base rate moving the way that it had over the last year from where it was pre-COVID, uh, you've seen some capitalization rate compression which is offset to date some of that softening in rental fundamentals and increasing incentives i think that we're only really at the beginning of what it means from a structural perspective in terms of office accommodation and occupation and what we are seeing now it's clearly evident in sydney cbd is uh, that tenants are choosing to take a flight to quality if you like move to higher quality buildings which will leave the vacancy really in those b-grade assets or secondary properties which have a higher capital expenditure requirement have higher tenant incentives uh, and and lower office uh, accommodation quality so that'll be where you see probably more uh, i won't say distress but more uh, i guess impact on value Uh, what we have been surprised about but it, it makes sense given i guess the uh, 
everything moving more towards online shopping is obviously logistics. Uh, logistics businesses and, and assets continue to trade at ever tightening capitalization rates. Uh, so now there's a large portfolio for sale on the market that Blackstone has assembled, uh, which is, in, I think, the, the final round of its uh, offer process, which will trade, I have heard, sub 4% which then re-rates a lot of the other listed players out there like Centuria Industrial, which I think has an average cap rate north of 5%. So there's still, uh, I think there's, as you said, there's an awful lot of money around. There's an availability of liquidity, both debt and equity, and that is still a positive spread over the cost of debt. So as long as that's around, I think people will still look at uh, real estate as being an attractive investment proposition. Uh, I guess the question is, does inflation creep back into the market? And if it does, what does that mean for the 10-year bonds? So you're already seeing them moving around a bit, but how sustainable uh, is that and how how deep is that inflation? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I guess we've all suddenly become uh, 10-year bond experts in the last few weeks in the equity market. It's something that you know we quietly ignore for most of the year and then suddenly it, it comes very much into focus and we've seen that almost, I guess, um, it's actually doubled uh, in, in Australia. I remember seeing it at 0.78, I think it was, for that 10-year not that long ago and here we are at 1.7%. It's, it's effectively quite a big jump and of course the same has happened in the US and that has put some pressure on our tech sector and those high growth stocks. Uh, when you take into account future cash flows. Um, looking at your, um, what, what do you see as your view on that 10-year bond? Is this, a, is this a transitory inflation? Is this um, something that we shouldn't be concerned about? Or are we going to see rates up towards uh, 1.82% here and in the US? Is that something we should be prepared for? I'm, I'm no economist. Uh, I think, you know, when we look at, I guess, uh, the direct asset acquisitions uh, and buying, our positions we make we obviously factor in some level of volatility and in interest rates but from our perspective it's more focused on what is sustainable for the long term and what does that mean from a pricing perspective and and not get caught up so much in you know the cost of debt today i mean we're a business that has always been lowly geared um, my balance sheet currently doesn't have any debt so it's making i guess longer term investment decisions uh, but being conscious that it's hard to see how interest rates could go any way other than sideways or up. Hmm. Um, just looking at your figures, congratulations, by the way, on, on the results. Um, you've got a, an NTA of around $1.14, um, share price around $0.89. Cents. Obviously, there's a discount there. You're not alone in the discount on, on, on an LIC or, or a fund. There's, there's plenty out there that do, and some that have premiums. How do you... Um, your, how do you see your task in trying to get that um, that discount back towards a more um, reflective level on the success of the business? If you look, I guess we go back in time with TOT and, and where it's come from in its journey. Uh, originally, it was doing equity investing. Uh, then we moved to real estate debt investing. Uh, that was your know, first mortgage for a non-bank lender. Uh, and then during that, that sort of journey, we... Uh, started buying into a business called URB Investments, which was run by Contact Asset Management. Uh, and that, you know, we did a, a scheme of arrangement uh, in 
December 2019 and merged uh, both TOT and the URB fund together. So I think that, that inherited a lot of investors for us, uh, which was great. And Solpats are a major shareholder of, of TOT. But what it did, given that the scheme of arrangement takes a long time to implement, we weren't able to actually market to those investors. So we inherited two and a half thousand investors that didn't necessarily know TOT strategy. And so over the sort of, and then we're hit by COVID. So we were cycling out of a lot of investors, I guess is, is sort of a reason why we've ended up where we have to some degree on the share price, given we were previously trading it uh, at or around a premium 20A. So our focus from here really has been, we've simplified the strategy, which is the first, not moving from debt and equity. We, we've picked equity as what this vehicle will focus on going forward and move it to be more of a traditional REIT. I think you'll see us have more uh, direct assets on balance sheet rather than being viewed as an LIC having you know a fund of funds sort of strategy. Uh, so over time that will move to be more the case, but it really is simplify what the strategy has been, uh, simplify the messaging, uh, continue to market. We've, we've gathered some new institutional support on the register, which has been great. We're doing a lot more marketing of the story of the broader business, but as well as TOT. So, uh, yeah, it's a compelling opportunity in our view, being at 20% discount to NTA with a 7% yield. And if you look at our long-term average uh, distribution, it's more like $0.09. Cents. We're currently paying $0.06. Cents. So there's some upside in that as we rationalise uh, some of the non-core assets and lower-performing investments from an income standpoint. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity there. So really for us, I'm not going to change it overnight. Uh, we've done a buyback, but that didn't really, really help. We're not really firm believers in that uh, for the long term. Our focus is putting on new investors that want to be on, on the register and uh, continue to get market awareness of the story and simplify that messaging. So, uh, I mean, for, for our members that are looking at TOT as an investment, the yield is good, as you, as you rightly say, and there's, there's not many things you can get that kind of yield in at the moment, especially when you're buying dollars for 80 cents, which is always good. Um, are there any catalysts that we should be looking for over the next year that's going to help you uh, get that discount back up towards uh, the NTA? Is, is there some events that you can sort of lay out on the horizon three, six, nine, twelve months away that you can point to and say, okay, well, if we achieve this, then this should happen, etc. cetera? Uh, any of those catalysts around? I think if you if we take a six month view, given everything takes longer than you, than you'd hope to implement in this sort of environment, uh, it really is you know see us improve that uh, DPU number and get it up closer to that nine cent level. Uh, and then you'll see it's more active on some transactions we're working at the moment. So I think it really is people now getting comfortable with what we're doing and it's watching us actually walk the talk and deliver on that, that strategy. Well, I, I guess part of that strategy is um, is uh, talking to people like us. It is indeed. It is indeed. <laughs> to, some, to, to some extent. And uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been great chatting to you today. Um, James, it's, it has been a pleasure chatting to you today. Uh, I wish you luck and uh, hopefully see the, uh, the share price back up towards that uh, NTA level. Certainly has been, uh, there's been some really good opportunities, I think, in some of the funds around this year. We've done very well out of a thing called Long Short Fund, which was trading at a, a massive discount to uh, to its NTA, which is subsequently still an 18% discount, but um, it has improved dramatically. So um, here's hoping that you can close up your discount dramatically as well in the in the year. And I, I guess, as you say, that the, the key to that will be uh, distributions 
and uh, getting yourself in front of investors again and, and working through the sort of the legacy issues of that scheme of arrangement. Fantastic. Thank you for your time. Most appreciated and look forward to speaking again.